please go ahead and open them up to Luke chapter 4. And as you're turning there, you know, Rick talked about, you know, this is a place to bring baggage. And I'm already doing better than I did during the first service. But today's my day to come with baggage. I am, this is a, a, you you know, we ask each other, how are you doing? Oh, fine. Well, if you ask me today, oh, horrible, miserable. This is probably one of the worst weeks I've had in a very long time. Um, I... uh, Tuesday, I got some pretty devastating news. A, a dear friend of mine, he was like an older brother to me. He actually was the one who nagged me every week to go to church over and over and over and over again. And the only reason that I went was that um, he, he promised me he'd never asked me to go to church again. Well, on Tuesday, I got word that he committed suicide. And um, I've been ministering to the family um, since Tuesday. And, and I've really just been kind of going on adrenaline, walking the line between pastor and, and uh, one who is mourning. And so it's difficult. And last night I'm like, oh, maybe I should call in some backup, you know. Call, like, just have somebody else preach a message and I'll just, you know. Because when you're hurting, this is, it's funny how it's, church is the last place you want to be. But I think it's the place that you need to be. And, and, and so I've got to... Uh, you know, kind of eat my words, practice what I preach, you know, it's as, this is, uh, this morning I got a, you know, got some tears out and it was good. And, and, uh, this is probably the least prepared I've ever been for a message. <laughs> so last service, it went, okay, we'll see what, what comes, um, this service, but I, um, you know, I, I am blessed in, in this. First, I want to say I'm sorry if you emailed me or called me this week and I didn't get back to you. It, it's not because I'm, uh, uh, you know, avoiding you. And then yesterday with a trip to Mexico, just so blessed about the call hit me on Tuesday, uh, Wednesday in the morning. I decided I should send Rick Restivo a message saying, hey, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to make Mexico like emotionally, if I'm going to be able to make the trip um, and. And so it just worked out. He's like, brother, I got it. I can run with everything. And so it was really just a blessing that, you know, to see people kind of pick up my slack and, and run with it. And, and, and there was concern about the rain. But this little, this teenage girl, regardless, rain or no rain, she had no home with two little kids. And so um, it, is, it was nice that um, we were able to go down there and, and, and encourage her and bless her. Um, I'm kind of sad because I don't, I don't know who she is. But people who are here, you know, here over there are going, I know who Kata is. And I talked with her and she speaks Spanish. And so she really talked to her. It was. Um, so we're going to we're going to pray and then we're going to read um, this story um, found in Luke chapter four, verses 31 to, to 44. And as we read, I have successfully avoided my whole life being in any sort of play. I hope I'm going to keep this record going for the rest of my life. But if this story was a play, there'd be four acts in this play. We'll see the first act takes place in the synagogue in Capernaum. Um, We'll see the second act takes place in um, Simon Peter's mother-in-law's home. The third act is going to take place during the sunset time of the day. And then the fourth act is going to take place the next morning, pre-dawn. And so that'll help us kind of 
um, figure out the, the picture of what's going on here. I have some, some pictures more than this that I think will be fascinating, <laughs> I hope. And uh, so let's pray and we'll read the story. So, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. Lord, we thank you uh, for your loving kindness, your mercy to us. Uh, Father, we thank you for Jesus, Lord, that he came, lived the perfect life, that he died for us, Lord, according to scripture for our sins, Lord, that he was buried and that he rose on the third day, that he walked this earth for 40 days, Lord, appearing to many people and ascending into heaven. We thank you, Lord, that in trusting in him, Lord, that you uh, send us your spirit, that you redeem us uh, from our lostness, and Father, that you um, have given great hope to us so that we no longer have to fear death. Uh, Lord, we come to you now. We pray that your spirit would illuminate the meaning of this text. Father, that you would soften our hearts, Lord. We each are in different places, uh, including myself, Lord. I could use a word from you of encouragement. And, uh, and Lord, I just pray that you would take us by the hand today, Lord, that you would, um, if we don't know you as Savior, Lord, that people in this room would come to know Jesus as Savior. For those of us that know you as Savior, Lord, that you would uh, take us by the hand, Lord. Help us to walk ever closely with you. We love you, Lord. We praise you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 31. And he came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the, on the Sabbath. And they were amazed at his teaching, for his message was with authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, let us alone. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in the midst of people, he came out of him without doing him any harm. And amazement came upon them all. And they began talking with one another, saying, What is this message? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And the report about him was spreading into every locality in the surrounding district. Then he got up and left the synagogue and entered Simon's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked him to help her. And standing over her, he rebuked the fever and it left her, and she immediately got up and waited on them. While the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And laying his hands on each one of them, he was healing them. Demons also were coming out of many, shouting, You are the Son of God. But rebuking them, he would not allow them to speak, because they knew him to be the Christ. When day came, Jesus left and went to a secluded place, and the crowds were searching for him and came to him and tried to keep him from going away from them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. So he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. And Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for this text. Father, we pray that you would Help it to come alive, Lord. May we see what happened uh, some 2,000 years ago. Father, we come with skepticism at times, and we pray, Lord, that you would uh, give us faith, Lord. Help us to see this world as it really is. And, Father, may you increase our faith in you. 
Uh, we love you, Lord. We praise you, and we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen. I'm going to ask Alberto to dim the lights. I have a, a little slideshow here. Um, we're going to kill all the lights. And first, we're going to start with... The, nope, go back, please. So right here, this is the northern section of Israel. Um, on the north, you have the Sea of Galilee. It's about 12 miles north to south. I think it's six or seven miles east to west. You have the Jordan River that flows south down to the Dead Sea. Uh, you have the dotted line here going around. Um, this is the region of the Galilee region. Last week, we were in Nazareth over here. It's in elevation. It's hills, very high, hilly country. Um, as you work your way down, you go to the, dead, the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is actually below sea level, 600 feet below sea level, is what, according to Rick over there. And uh, we have Capernaum right here on the northern edge of the sea. So that, this is kind of where we are in this story. Next slide, please. If you were to go to Israel today, go a couple hundred feet over Capernaum, this is what you would see. This is the city of Capernaum. There's a wall going around the edge. Um, you would drive in up here. Your bus would park, and then you would walk in. Um, all of these little things around the this, this is kind of remnants. You're not allowed to walk into those, but that's what's been excavated um, to see the town. Um, you'll see the Galilee Sea right here. Um, this big building, the most prominent building, is the synagogue. Um, this building was obviously not there during Jesus' time. It was built during the 1990s, and I'll show it to you. But directly under that location is the spot that is most likely, going back, it's, it's highly likely that it was actually Simon's home, um, Simon Peter's home. They, it can, you're never sure when you're going back in time that far. But the very early church from that moment said, this is it. And so it's very likely chance that it is the home. And so I want us to kind of see here that from, this, from the synagogue to the home to the sea, is less than 100 yards. So when they'd left the synagogue to go to Simon's home, you're talking 30 yards, 40 yards, very close, all in this area. Um, next slide, please. This is a picture of the synagogue today. Um, kind of two rooms, pretty good size. Um, the actual stones here were not during Jesus' time. This is um, white marble that was built after him. But the slab that it's built on is uh, black basalt, um, and that actually, the, the foundation would have been the foundation that Jesus was on. So we know this with certainty. Many miracles happened at this location at the hands of Jesus. Um, next slide is just to kind of orientate you. This is a little round, kind of circular place. There's a hole right here, which would have been a door. Tiny home. This is Simon's home. Um, it's, I think they said it's like 25 square feet. So we're talking very small um, around the outer Bless you. Around the outer is kind of like a courtyard for that little room. And then if you back up, you see the church that was built in 1990. Next slide, please. So it kind of looks like a spaceship. There's pillars all around the outside of it. It doesn't touch the ground. It's elevated. I did not go into the church when I was there. But if you go inside of the church, there's a glass floor right over uh, Peter's home that you can look down into. Um, all these people are gathered right here, most likely just looking at Peter's home that you can see um, from the rail there. And so this, I hope this helps kind of orientate us. Um, we can kick on all the lights and you can go back to the very first slide. And so that'll help give us some insight to what we're looking at in this story. Um, so verse 31, 
Uh, he came, that's Jesus, he came down to Capernaum. So he's traveling north, but in elevation, he's going down from Nazareth to Capernaum. Uh, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. We learned last week that he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath out of custom. He grew up going to church, essentially. On, he didn't. It was Saturday, you go to church. That's what you do. That's, it's your time to take time to spend in dedication to the Lord. That's why we come on Sundays, to come and worship the Lord. Even though some days you just don't want to be at church. This is, you know... You might have had a morning like I had. Oh, I didn't want to be there. But now that I'm here, I'm so thankful that I'm here. And God is working on my heart. And so he's teaching on the Sabbath. Very, uh, synagogue was not the temple. They, they would have a couple of attendants. Maybe not a trained person to teach from the scripture. One guy would care for all of the scriptures that they had on hand. Another guy was more of the maintenance sort of guy. Um, if they had a teacher, that would be rare. And so a guy like Jesus or any rabbi as they traveled around... On the Sabbath, they would be welcome in to teach the scriptures. And so Jesus is going from synagogue to synagogue teaching. And his teaching is different than all of the others teaching. In verse 32, we read, And they were amazed at his teaching, for his message was with authority. And so when he spoke, when he began teaching from the scriptures, he was different than the other guys. They would speak from commentators. They would talk about the text they didn't really know what they were talking they got you know you get the idea that it's like oh their message was kind of like boring and dead and dry and jesus comes and speaks life into the word and they're hearing it in a way that they have never heard before and they're absolutely amazed and that's why we teach the bible there's some churches that that will talk a lot about the bible maybe not even the goal or their goal might not even be to, to deal with the text. But we believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God, that it was revealed for us, and our hope comes through this message. And so we teach this message week to week. This is not, quite frankly, this text today is a, is a text in my flesh I would probably skim over. Because we're talking about miracles, and I'm not one that's big into miracles. I'm not one that's big into healings. Like This is, this is a message I would skim over. But I can't do that. You guys would always be like, Gunnar, why did we skip that passage? Oh, I know. We've got we to gotta cover it. And so he's there teaching. He has authority. He's in the synagogue, verse 33. And there was a man possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, let us alone. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? You who have come to, de- you have, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The Holy One of God. That's fascinating. Where was this demon-possessed guy? In church. He wasn't like in the bar on the way to church screaming out heckling at Jesus. He's in the synagogue there learning, listening. The message that he said is not inaccurate. He sees Jesus walk in. He's like, what are you doing here? Are you here to destroy us? Leave us alone. You're the, you're the living. What does he say? You're the Holy One of God. He recognizes Jesus for who he is. He begins proclaiming this to him. He understands Genesis 3.15 that, that Jesus would come, that he'd crush Satan's head. He knew that the battle was over. And he's like, get away from me, get away from me, get away from me. And all through this, 
passage, I've highlighted phrases from 31 to the end. Teaching, teaching, his message, rebuked, message, um, rebuked, rebuked, preached. And I think that Luke, as we look at Luke in in, in contrast to other gospel writers, in this section, Luke is highlighting the authority of Jesus' words, that he spoke with authority. And so in verse 35, as this guy, as this demon is calling out Jesus in the temple, we read that Jesus rebuked him, saying, Jesus just looks at him, be quiet and come out of him. That's all he said, be quiet and come out of him. And then what happens? And when the demon had thrown him down in the midst of the people, he came out of him without doing him any harm. And amazement came upon them all. And they had begun talking with one another, saying, What is this message? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. This guy's heckling Jesus. You're the son of God. What do you want with us? Are you here to destroy us? Get away. Jesus looks at him and says, be quiet. Come out of that man. Man falls down. Spirit comes out of a man's unhurt. Everybody sees this. And what I, what I love is in this message, in this passage, they were not amazed at what he did. They were amazed at what he said. It was his words. Be quiet. Get out of him. Spirit departs. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We're told that he spoke creation into existence. There is power in the mere words of God. Out of nothing, he can create whatever he wants. There, there is nothing that can trump God's authority. I read one guy use the illustration of, oh, somebody comes and knocks on your door at your house and says, I'm sorry, sir, but you've got to, evac- you've got to leave your house. I'd say, who do you think you are? You're not kicking me out of my house. The guy holds his badge and he says, the FBI, he says, sir, you need to leave your house. Okay, you have some authority here. We need to get out and we'll kind of sort things out. What's Something's going on because there's authority. And they recognize that Jesus just wasn't some guy saying, get out, because these demons wouldn't just listen to anybody. Jesus says, quiet down, get out of there. They depart. They're totally amazed. In verse 37, we read that the report about him was spreading to every locality in the surrounding district. And so here we're, last week we looked at, he came into Nazareth. The word had already spread all through Galilee. They knew that Jesus was doing things. And so as they came into Nazareth, they were ready. Hey, do a miracle, show us something. So then he goes down here, he does another one. As he does this miracle, he casts out this demon from the guy. The word then continues to spread. There's no, uh, there's no twittering. If this was today, they'd be twittering. Hey, dude, this guy, Jesus from Nazareth, doing all kinds of stuff. And there, I think you have 40 words, 40 characters to use. I mean, word would be all over Facebook, all over everywhere. But here they're going by foot. They're telling everybody, listen, the Messiah, this guy, the demon possessed, said he's the Holy One of God. And he just spoke, came out of him. It's weird. My first inclination is not to blame stuff on demon possession, spirits. I don't stu- I'm not the kind of guy who stubs my toe and goes, oh, the devil made me do that. I, t- I, I tend to exhaust all my own resources and go, ah, maybe there's some spiritual warfare going on. 
maybe I need to start thinking along these terms. This week with uh, my other parents. Minutes, hours, days after the suicide. She kept saying, well, he's been tormented by demons for a long time. And she's not a believer. She's not spiritually minded at all. And I'm studying this text. And I'm thinking, I have conversations in my head. They say it's okay as long as you don't answer back out loud, you know. <laughs> so I'm, this text is on my mind and they're saying this. And it's like, well, I, I certainly cannot exclude that demon possession or harassment or whatever could have been a factor. And I'm not saying this to at all say, oh, I don't believe in medicine. Because I totally, like, there are spiritual things. Like, Luke is a physician in the story, writing. And so we can't, there are times there's, we're told that there is a spiritual war happening. There's things. And I don't want us to get out of control to where this is our only focus. Because the emphasis is Jesus. Scripture emphasizes Jesus. Clearly in this, he simply spoke and the demon was gone. We don't want to give them more power than they have because in Christ, we have total protection. And so the story moves on in verse 38 to scene two. Then he got up and he left the synagogue and he entered Simon's home. This isn't a mile's journey. This is like 30 yards after church. We'll probably right about now. We're start, as soon as I say this, we're going to start thinking about lunch. What's for lunch? Where do we go for this? I'm starving. You you never, it's really bad. See, I went to a Mexican church for two years or three years. It was really bad because they rotated between the ladies every Sunday to have nice, authentic Mexican food after the service. The smell would reach you long before the food would. <clears throat> and I don't speak Spanish. And so I'm sitting there going, man, Brother Marcus, Beat it up, man. There's basole. I can smell it out there. So Jesus wanted his kosher sandwich or whatever it was. He's done his work at the synagogue. Simon's like, hey, dude, my my mother-in-law. I don't know if he said, hey, dude, to Jesus. But my mother-in-law is at my house. She'll totally take care of us. She'll make some food. So they head over there to get some whatever you eat for lunch in Israel on Sabbath. And so they were going to go down there to eat. They entered Simon's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering a high fever. And they asked him to help her. And standing over her, he rebuked the fever. And it left her. And she immediately got up and waited on them. So they go there. They see his mother-in-law. She's, this is not... This is not your common cold, your common fever, your common, oh, they're not doing so well. This in the lowland and the, the marshes, it was a very like common malaria-type fever. She was down, sweating, shaking. The word for fever could also be fire, that she was burning up, probably incoherent. They walk in. There's no 911, hey, we need to get some help here. And this is Luke, the physician, writing. They look to Jesus and they say, can you help her? Or maybe they don't even ask us a question. They say, help her. 
They asked him to help her. Would you please do something, Jesus? We know that you're capable. And now when you look at the different Gospels, they describe it. They, they each have their own light that they shed on this. Some describe her, him as getting down, laying hand on her. But Luke is emphasizing Jesus' authority. And Luke says he rebuked the fever. She's shaken. And he just, fever be gone. And she immediately got up and waited on them. Like I'm running on empty right now, like from this week. Totally on empty. Friday night, I'm debating whether to go back down to the parents' house. I had to go down there to, to get a, last, a touch with them. But I'm like, you know, when you get like your nose starts running and you start getting the itchy throat and all of the signs are like, oh, no, it's coming. Oh, no, it's like. And then Saturday, all day yesterday, I'm in bed. I mean, all day. It was awesome. But then I was kind of worried. I'm like, man, I've got to get ready for tomorrow. So I'm like there trying to figure out um, what I'm going to talk about. And I'm still running slow today. And I think that this illness was more like my Mongolia illness that I often talk about. Like I was sick for a week in Mongolia and Richard would come in multiple times a day. Ask, are, like, are you alive? Like they were seriously, do we need to medically evacuate you? It took me like a month to recover from that illness. Maybe six weeks, like my whole body wasn't functioning. I was definitely not right after Mongolia. Jesus rebukes. She's, she's out horribly useless. He rebukes her. She stands up. Boom. What do you boys want for lunch? I'll crank something out. I'm good to go. I'll, you know, she goes from being totally out to totally healthy. This, this was a total and complete miracle. This wasn't, she started to get well. Oh, boys, I'll, uh, I understand. When you're sick, the thought of food, you can't help. She's fine. And I love one guy that I, I read or heard this week. He said, here Jesus comes. In contrast with the other one, they, the other people start yelling. She just gets up and starts serving. There's no rebuke from Jesus for her wanting them to cook lunch. She begins waiting on them. And his point was, there's so many people that I've seen in Christianity that they want to begin just go out and witnessing and sharing and doing all this stuff, and they don't really start focusing on serving them in the immediate context of where they are. And he said, you know what? If you, and he went on to say, hey, if you're a, you're a wife or a mom with kids, like some, the most spiritual thing sometimes you can do is in your very own home and then work out from there. I thought that's a great point from this. She didn't suddenly take off. I need to tell you about Jesus. I'm going to serve you. And she starts serving them food. And then we move into Act 3. Verse 40, while the sun was setting, I'm going to pause here. This is the Sabbath. The sun setting here is kind of critical for us to understand because there were Sabbath laws. You could only go so far on certain days. The word was spreading. But at sunset, Sabbath starts Friday night at sunset. It concludes at sunset on Saturday. So sunset here, people are now not bound by the Sabbath laws. People are able to travel from further different distances to get into Jesus. And so people start coming, verse 40, while the sun was setting, all of those who, 
had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And the picture here is they're carrying people. There are no four-wheel wheelchairs. These are cobblestone things. They're carrying people on stretchers. They're on their shoulders, carrying them to Jesus. They can get to him. They want help for their family, their friends. And laying his hands on each one of them, he was healing them. Demons were also coming out of many, shouting, you are the son of God. And so they get here. We don't know how many. Jesus is going by touch to each person, healing them of their infirmities, casting out demons. This is an awesome scene. Now, I talked about one of my favorite churches I love visiting is Bayview Baptist with Dr. Winters. It's a mega church that's a, a black Baptist church, and it's a ton of fun. If you ever get a chance to go to that church, I highly encourage you to do so. The first Sunday there, at the end of the service when they take their offering, it's a little embarrassing the first time you go there because they give you big red ribbons. They like notify everybody that you're a visitor. And they say, if you're a visitor... Stand up. It's like, okay. They say, we want you to walk down front, and there's a room in the back. So everybody goes into the back and sits down, and you're just waiting. Well, my second visit, I learned, is they take all the first-time visitors, and then they, while they're back there, they take an offering. And so all the visitors are back there, and then Dr. Winters comes by. It could be 50 people back there, 100 people. He shakes every single person's hand. Hi, how are you doing? It's glad to be, you know, what, what job do you do? He talks to every single person. And there was this sort of intimacy. There's like, man, this is awesome. And Jesus is going and touching every single person and healing them. And they're, they're being healed. You are the son of God. And immediately he rebukes them. But rebuking them, he would not allow them to speak because they knew him to be the Christ. All through the gospels, we see Jesus healing people and then saying, don't tell anybody. Don't go sharing. Don't go telling them what's going on. See, his message was not a message of healing people's physical ailments. His message, he didn't want them running off and getting a half-baked idea that like here he was to start taking over the political movement to free them from Rome. He knew he had to go to the cross and he knew what he was doing. And so he wanted to silence them so that he could fulfill what he was called to do is one theory. But he tells them, be quiet, don't say anything to anybody. And then verse 42, act four, when day came, Mark tells us that, that the sun hadn't come up yet. So the, he, maybe he, got, he went to sleep somewhere. It's early in the morning, pre-sunrise. He goes to a secluded spot to pray, to spend time with the Father. It says, when day came, Jesus went to a secluded place, and the crowds were searching for him. So everybody had gotten word that Jesus was doing all this stuff. They're searching for him. They're trying to find him. They came to him, and they tried to keep him from going away from them. They finally find him. They say, don't go, don't go. We've been trying to fill our pulpit for a long time, and you're hired. You're our man. We got a nice parsonage for you. Just don't leave Capernaum. You're, you're good with us. People can just come and be healed. It'll be a great show. Just don't leave us. And in verse 43, he says to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. So he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. And so in this story, as Luke's writing, he's, he begins with this volley of miracles, casting out demons, healing the sick, 
People want him to stay, and he's taking quiet time. And I can't stress how important having that private time with the Lord is. And I confess this week I've done a horrible job. Horrible job. I had a major crisis. I'm, tr- I'm trying to run on my own strength. But you need that time. Lord, there is so much information in our system coming in at us through so many different times of mediums that we need to take time and say, Lord, this is what do you want me to do with my life? What is my purpose? How can I honor you? And Jesus knew that his mission was preaching and proclaiming the kingdom of God. And we're told that he continues to go on and preach this message. And as I look at this text, what's the purpose? Who is Jesus? Like this whole purpose of Luke's writing to show Theophilus the exact truth of the things that had happened. What happened? Who is Jesus? He's showing that he clearly is the Messiah, that he has ultimate authority over all. You might be rejecting him today in your heart, but the Bible tells us in Philippians that one day every knee will bow and confess that he's Lord. And some will be confessing that as they go into judgment and others as they're heading into glory for eternity with him. He has authority. He demonstrated his authority, his message to us. And today is our day where we take communion. And what's the deal with communion? Why do we take communion? I want us to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And as we look at this story, we recognize that Jesus perform miracles, cast out all these things. Demons heal people. And, and, and sometimes in his authority, where I, as you're going over to 1 Corinthians 11, I forgot to share with you some of the things that I struggle with on this issue. First, the demon thing, I kind of shared that with you. It's not my, a natural man doesn't th- see things of the spirit. And, and so as a Christian, this has been an area of struggling for me. And then miracles. Well, why do some people get healed and why do some people not get healed? Well, I don't know. Some have said, well, if you're, if you're praying for healing and you don't get healed, it's because you don't have enough faith. Oh. That kind of, that hurts. That's like throwing the dagger in my heart. I really, I really think I believe. I'm going to share with you, you guys all laughed. My dad gave a, fu- a, a fist pump, you know, last service. He was impressed. I prayed for a miracle early in my Christian life. I'll never forget it. I was in Pensacola, jogging down the beach. My miracle that I prayed for over and over and over again is that God will remove my tattoos. Now, I'm not a disclaimer here. I'm not saying all tattoos. This is not my theological. I'm talking about my tattoos exclusively. I got mine in sin. And they're a horrible reminder. And I often tease you guys, joking, like one time I'm going to come up here in a wife beater and just preach, you know, and you guys can see it all, you know, and it's glory, but I'd never... It's too horrifying for me. But man, I prayed like, Lord, I know you're capable of removing these tattoos. You raise people from the dead for crying out loud. This is just a little side job. Come on, just poof, little, just take the ink away. He never answered. I still got him. My faith too small, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. 
But he has him there to remind me, keep me humble. Because I see people that are covered in tattoos, and I think, you idiot. And then all of a sudden, God like hits me over the head, you idiot, you know? That happens to me all the time. Totally keeps me humble, keeps me in the right place. But I started studying, and it's like, well, wait a minute. If it's not enough faith, the Apostle Paul was a man who God used to heal people. They touch him, they shadow, all kind of healings. Yet he himself wasn't healed. We're told that he had a thorn in his side, that he prayed over and over and over again, and God never took it from him. And I think sometimes we look at miracles and we look at them through the lens of our perspective. A few Easter's ago, we showed a, a video up here, cardboard testimonies, powerful. And there was one scene that got everybody crying, or at least I was, and I just assume when I'm crying, everybody else is crying. This lady walks out with a cardboard. There are all kinds of people on one side of the cardboard. They're kind of solemn walking out, and they said, I struggled with alcoholism for so many years. Then they flip it. Oh, God healed me of alcoholism. Boom. Struggled with depression. God healed me. Boom. Then this lady walks out, an elderly lady, and she's on the one side of her cardboard. She said, I prayed for healing for my husband for years. And we're like, ooh, this is going to be a good one. She flips it over and she says, God healed him through death. And we just started crying. I did. I assume, because when I cry, I can't see what's going on. So I just assume everybody else is doing what I'm doing. But see, her perspective was right. See, it doesn't end in this life. Jesus rose from the dead. We'll get new bodies that are free of sin and stain. And I will one day go to glory with a body with no tattoos on it. I know that for sure. And so sometimes God heals us. We don't know why he heals us. Sometimes, I I mean, the fact that you can get a cold and go to the doctor and take some medicine and it heals you. Sometimes we don't give God enough credit. If we talked to people from 500 years ago and we told them about medical technology, they would think that we were absolutely insane that that sort of technology could exist. But God has created this. And ultimately, God is going to fully heal us. Sometimes he'll do it in the meantime. He'll do something in our life. But when I look at the life of Jesus, his, the miracles were kind of like, that was secondary. That was not his primary thrust. His message was the kingdom of God. And the ultimate miracle, in my opinion, and I think in Jesus, according to Matthew, I think it's chapter 12, the Pharisees were saying, just show us a miracle. And he looks at them, he says, you know what? No more miracles. The last miracle you see is the, the miracle like Jonah. I'm going to tear down the temple, speaking of his body, I'm going to raise it in three days. The resurrection of Jesus, that he was buried for three days, rose from the grave, ascended into heaven. In front of That's a miracle. That's the only miracle that we truly need. And I totally will pray for miracles. Lord, pray for healings, pray for, like I'm not against them, but we need to keep it into perspective. The only miracle we need is the resurrection of Christ. And so communion is kind of celebrating that. It's a memorial. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 33, I'm going to read these. What's the point of communion? Paul writes, verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So Jesus is there. He's going to be arrested in hours. They're in Jerusalem. He's got the disciples there. This is the Last Supper. John's account is the longest, 13 to 17. Their regular Passover meal, the, the unleavened bread, the wine. He takes the bread, breaks it, and says, this is my body, do this in remembrance of me. They didn't have a clue what he was talking about. Within 24 hours, as they watched him brutally beaten prior to even going to the cross, then going to the cross, being, Isaiah tells us that he wasn't unrecognizable. And I imagine them just weeping. That's his body. Every time they broke bread for the rest of their lives, I imagine they broke, this is my body, do this and remember me, as often as you eat this. This cup. See, he didn't stay on the cross. He was buried three days. He rose again. The new covenant that there's life in Christ. And so, when we take this, there's a special one. I hope there's plenty here left. There's a couple. This little jar, that's for the... Um, gluten-free, wheat, everything. And after last month of providing this, I have a new disclaimer. If you, if you touch the other stuff, don't even touch those crackers because there's some people, there's one, a person in our church who, who if you even touch the regular ones and then go over there, they'll get very, very sick. So do not touch, do not cross-contaminate. <clears throat> Leaving the administrative notes, um, but they're crackers, and it's juice, and it's symbolic. It's to remind us, hey, don't forget. Jesus' work on the cross is complete. He didn't die on the cross and that he covered 85%, and you're left to cover the 15% with good works. No, there was, you couldn't cover a half a percent. It was total and complete on the cross. And we come to the cracker, we take communion, we're reminded, we remember what he did so that we don't lose sight of the work that he's done in our life. Verse 26 says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you are to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. See, we're reminded that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. And when he comes back and takes the church to be with him, when we're with him in heaven, there's no more communion because we're with him. Communion ends one day. And so as we take communion, as we go up and we get our, our juice and our crackers, we're reminded that we need to share Christ with the world that doesn't know him. We're told in, I think it's 2 Peter 3, 9, that the only reason his wrath hasn't come back is because he desires that all are saved. And so we're reminded that the wrath that was inflicted on him is coming to the world. And so we're reminded that we have the answer and we need to proclaim his death, burial, and resurrection so that people can receive life because he is coming back. And when he comes back, your time, time is over. And then he goes on to say in verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. Well, what's an unworthy manner? If you're not a Christian, communion is not for you. If you want to be a Christian... There's no class involved. There's nothing. There's, it's just simply believing. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, it says, after hearing the gospel, that's the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, after hearing the gospel of your salvation, you believed. And at the moment of belief, you're sealed in the Spirit. So as soon as you say, I totally believe, 
sealed with the Spirit. You're good until the day of redemption. And then it's about walking with Him. So an unworthy manner to you who are Christians in this place. I don't believe we can lose our salvation. But we can break fellowship with God as we sin, as we are disobedient to Him. It tears fellowship so that He can't work in our life. And so it's our time to come back to the cross. You know, I love that song where Matt Redman, you know, after writing all kinds of worship songs, he stopped writing. And then he wrote the song, The Heart of Worship. He says, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. It's more than a song. And, and the picture that we as Christians, in this life, we're struggling with the flesh. We have redeemed bodies. Our position before God is good. And we have to learn in this, this world. And so 1 John 1, 9 tells us that we're to confess our sins and God's faithful to make us righteous. And so communion is a time for us to reflect, to confess. And if you can't think of anything to confess, confess your pride. Because pride is a sin. We all have something that we can confess. We're good at segmenting our lives, segregating in a way that 80%, oh, we're giving God all this, but oh, I got this thing in the back room that I'm holding on to because I really like this. We all have different ones. And God wants you to confess whatever that is. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. This is serious stuff. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number asleep. He says there, there are people that were in the church in Corinth that were taking communion incorrectly, that they had sin in their life. They were coming. They got physically sick. Some of them even died. They didn't just permanently, they didn't just fall asleep at church. They died and the Lord took them home. And so he says, when you come, you judge yourself, you confess your sin, you recognize what you're taking. Verse 32 says, but when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. So as we close, we're going to pray. I'm going to get the elements ready up front. And we're just going to kind of, I'm going to pray and we're going to have time of silence. And when you're ready to receive the elements, just come on up and grab your element and go back to your seat. If you need help getting an element, just let somebody know and whoever's next to you will grab you a juice and a cracker. But we're going to pray and then come take communion. Father, we come before you, Lord, and we have, um, Lord, we're so thankful, Lord, for Jesus. Father, we thank you that he came to earth, that he humbled himself and became a man, that he lived perfectly under the law. And Lord, as his ministry began in this story, Lord, that he began exercising authority, that there was no doubt who he was. That the demons were able to confess that he was the Messiah, that he was God. And so, Father, we come before you, Lord, and we recognize it's more than identifying who Jesus is. Father, we pray for those in this room that maybe believe that Jesus is Lord, but they haven't believed in him personally for salvation. 
Father, we pray for those, Lord, that don't know Jesus as Savior, Lord, that whatever needs to happen in their hearts, Lord, we pray that your spirit would begin or continue working in them, that they could move to that place of salvation. Father, we pray for those in this room who have trusted upon you, Lord. We are all at different places in our walk with you. Father, we pray that as you've forgiven us, Lord, that you would help us to forgive ourselves of our past life, of things that we've done. Father, we pray that you would help us to draw close to you, Lord, that we would um, be obedient to you in all things, Lord, that you would take us by the hand, that you would lead us on. Father, help us to become sensitive to your voice. Father, as we take this cracker and this juice, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that Jesus paid it all that his work on the cross was totally and completely sufficient for our salvation. We thank you for the juice which we drink, Lord, in remembrance of the new covenant, that we no longer have to fear death, that we have life in Christ. Father, we pray that as we take these crackers, you would bring to mind people, friends, co-workers, fellow students, just people around us, Lord, that don't know you. Father, we pray that you would help us to proclaim the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, that our lives would be living testimonies of who you are. And Father, we thank you that you're a God of conviction for us, Lord, that we are convicted of our sin, that you are able to restore and heal. Lord, we pray that you would show us our iniquities, show us, Lord, where we're missing the mark, that we could walk fully and completely with you. We love you, Lord. We praise you. And we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen.